Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Hey, my name is Jay Harwitz, and for this edition of the Amazing Mets Alumni Podcast, we have Ed Cranepole, one of the stars of the 1969 New York Mets World Championship team. Eddie, last year you celebrated a, a great anniversary in June, with the 50th year anniversary of the 69 Mets, and Coming up this May, it's another special uh, anniversary for you. It's a year ago, May 7th, that you had your kidney transplanted. What has it last year been like for you, Ed? Well, it's been tremendous. I mean, 50th anniversary we had. It was a tremendous year. We celebrated all year. We had a lot of things to do. And, of course, me getting a kidney the same year was certainly tremendous, an exciting uh, time in my life because it gives me a new goal now. I've got, I feel great physically and uh, mentally I feel good, and it's good to be around all my friends, and uh, we're looking forward to more excitement. Eddie, I think I spoke to you. Um, maybe a week or two before May 7th. And at that time, I wouldn't say you were pessimistic, but it was kind of a long haul, like three plus years, right? Waiting for the kidney. You were about to go, maybe go on dialysis. Could you discuss what your, you know, your mental frame of mind? I know you never gave up. You always, but was there a time before you got it, you say, hey, mate, is this going to ever happen? Well, it's a long procedure. You have a lot of things that have to match up correctly for yourself and of course getting somebody to volunteer an organ is not the easiest thing to do it's not like going on the shelf and saying i'm going to purchase one so you've got to get everything to match so mentally you got to get yourself ready for it but there's a lot of things that go on during the course of the year where you get discouraged for the simple reason that uh, not everything works you think you have an organ donor and of course something comes up maybe they get sick or maybe during the testing stage, you know, something doesn't work for them. They've got some problems. I had a couple of people that uh, volunteered to give me an organ, got sick themselves. So, you know, you never know. You don't have it until you have it in your chest. So along the ways, we had some problems. My wife got discouraged. Uh, I was getting down. But of course, you got to try to stay positive. And like anything in life, and I think that's the good thing that sports teaches you, you don't give up. You just keep uh, plugging along and, and, and keep going, and hopefully uh, something comes in. And, of course, we finally got a, a strange situation where another gentleman needed it, a fireman needed it. His wife wasn't uh, the right donor for him, and 
I had an organ donor. We wound up switching with four people. We had four operations the same day and worked out great. And we're all doing well. And we're friends. And I've, I've accumulated three more friends. And, and Brian, the, the, the Port Authority policeman, the guy who initiated the, the thing, and, and it's a pretty amazing thing that, you know, he didn't know you. He didn't know anybody else. He just wanted to donate his kidney. And people like Brian don't really come along too often in life, do they, Eddie? I mean, not really. You know, it's it's not the easiest thing to do to offer up a donor, especially to somebody else. They don't like to tell people who's, who it's going to. They don't want them to change their mind or whatever, you know. But uh, he was a guy that wanted to, to give back in this, in this world, and, and it was offering up a donor. As it turned out, my doctor was searching for it. He was a he was a perfect candidate for myself. But when this other situation came up, the guy's wife was not a, a match for her husband. She was a perfect match for Ed Cranepool, and we wound up switching them off. Uh, Brian wound up giving it to her husband. She gave me her kidney. So we had four people. It worked out great, and we've got four good friends now. And we've uh, made uh, two guys happy. Two guys improved their life. Uh, capabilities and uh, we're all getting along fine now hey, eddie what is your what you went through you know with, with this crazy times going on with the viruses give, give you like a deeper appreciation what doctors or nurses do and what what, what what they did with you to see what's going on these guys the, the doctors and nurses put their lives on a you know every day with what's going on with the virus it give you a deeper appreciation after what you went through with your situation well, it does because you know how how at risk you're at. Uh, my immune system is is uh, compromised, obviously, because I'm taking a lot of medication for anti rejection drugs. So when I have to go back to the hospital, they have it completely uh, separated from the hospital, and uh, it's self contained. You wound up going to the hospital. You have to sit in your car. They come out and they get you. They bring you into a private room. You know, just this whole situation, everything is so, so sanitized. They're making sure that nobody gets affected. So at this particular time, I, I haven't left my house in the last month. This is a, a dangerous situation because we're at the highest risk that you're, uh, you know, you, you can catch it. And of course, the, your immune system is not very good. It goes right into your lungs and then you've got some problems. So, uh, you know, this is a tough time to, to be going through it. But I'm feeling good and I'm staying strong and uh, hopefully they can resolve this and uh, we can all get back to our normal life. Yeah, like everybody, we're all trying to follow Governor Cuomo's advice, you know, uh, keep doing what we've been doing, stay inside and and practice social distancing. That's what all the people you know should be doing. And you went on some trips this year, didn't you, too, which you never could have do before for a couple of years? You went away well, for a little bit? I did. I, I I love to travel and I I actually like to cruise all the time. And now I got to think a little bit about it, how much medication you might have to bring if you've, if, you know, if you think of this coronavirus or what the situation is with these people getting self-contained and stuff on a cruise ship. So I might be thinking about it, but I do love to travel. You love to take advantage of life. You know, this is a great country that we have. And, uh, you know, I feel good physically. So I'm ready to go again. So we'll, we just can't wait to everything cleans out. Eddie, you, you had spoken. I know you were supposed to do a walk for, to help publicize kidney uh, transplants. And it was called dope because of the situation. What do you tell people at this time? That not to, you know, you got help. It's got to be a, a tough time for people looking for kidney transplants at a time like this. So what would you say to people to, you know, to keep it in mind? I mean, not to lose sight of people who do need organs 
I, how would you address that point? Well, you always have to think about it because there's a, roughly 100,000 people that are waiting for an organ transplant, you know, a kidney transplant right now. So there's plenty of people out here that have problems. But, you know, there are so many things going on. It's got everybody confused, but you can't lose hope. You got to just keep plugging away. And the doctors are always looking for the situation that's right for the patients. You know, these cells work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, you know, they live for transplants. And my doctor, I saw him a couple of weeks ago. I mean, he did a transplant a week before because it was life and death. So those operations go on. So people are available. It's just a matter of people have so many things on their mind, taking care of themselves, their family. You know, it's tough to be thinking about donating an organ, but certainly the need is out there for all kinds of patients. So we just got to give back in this world. And I was very fortunate that I found somebody that was willing to give me an organ. Eddie, can I change topics for a second? Tom Seaver. Um, April was a, was a month for a lot of Seaver's uh, historic uh, you know, accomplishments. He won his first game in April of 67. In April of 1970, he struck out 10 Padres in a row, 19 in a game. Could you imagine, you know, go back to um, the winter, like February of 66, he signs a contract with the Braves. It was, it was, it was, uh, he was deemed in violation by Commissioner Eckert at the time. We won a lottery pick, got him. Could you imagine what the Mets would have been like if Tom Seaver was a Brave instead of a Met? Well, we wouldn't have won as many games as we did. Seaver was a great pitcher. And obviously, uh, you know, most of his games is, is outstanding games early on because he physically was at his peak. He's strong from resting all winter. He didn't, hasn't thrown a lot of innings. He hasn't thrown a lot of balls. So April, May is a good time for Tom Seaver because once he gets his control down after spring training, he's raring to go. And, uh, you know, he's a great competitor and he's ready to pitch. And he goes every fourth day, fifth day. I mean, uh, early in the season, he's at the prime of, of his career. He's at the at the top of his game. So you don't want to face him. If the Mets don't uh, get lucky in that uh, selection of Tom Seaver, they've lost their Hall of Famer. They've lost their franchise player. And he was a great pitcher. When you win over 300 games, you know you're outstanding. And just check his record. His earn run average was tremendous. His control was tremendous. You know, he was such a great competitor. We were very fortunate to have a good uh, pitching staff, but Tom Seaver headed it up. And that 19-inning game that he pitched was one of the easiest games to play because, you know what, Some they only hit the ball seven times. So, uh, you know, eight times. It, it was f unbelievable. You know, one of the most amazing stats I looked up, in 1967, when he won the rookie of the year, he won 16 games, and the team won 61 games. The Mets were 61 and 101, and he wins 16 games in an off year for the team. I mean, that should tell you what kind of a competitor he was. Did you know, did the guys know right away what he was going to be? You know, he only was in the minor leagues for one year. He was Jacksonville. Uh, yeah, I mean, but when, when he, he came up. Into the locker, did you guys know right away what he was going to be? Well, the way he carried himself, you knew he was a professional. He went about business, you know, in a, in a very professional way. And the first day he took uh, took the mound for the Mets, you knew a star was in the makings. I mean, we could see it. You know, he handled himself very professionally. He went about his business. And, of course, 
you know, winning 16 games with the Mets, it was not a bad ball club when Tom Seaver was on the on the mound because we knew we were going to be in the ball game. Come the seventh, eighth, ninth inning, Tom Seaver was going to be out on the mound, and you want to go to war with a guy like him. Eddie, let's go. 1968, uh, Tom's second year with the Mets, um, got to 73 wins, and I remember there's one time in May. I don't know if you remember that the team got to 18 and 18. And it was the first time that the Mets had been 500 or better that late in the season. I remember Tom said after the game, we can't be satisfied with 500. We want more. Do you remember anything that that conversation at all or that part of it that you got to 18 and 18 in May? Well, Tom was correct. I mean, this was the first time we had been uh, this high in the standings, uh, you know, since the, I started with the Mets in 1962. So he was a professional. When he joined the ball club, we knew we had something special. So he was always pushing the guys and pushing the other pitchers to do better. So, you know, under Gil Hodges, when, when he came in like this, you knew we wanted to get better. And Gil wanted us to perform up to our potential. He saw a lot of young players. A lot of guys had the abilities. They just had to prove it on the field. You have to learn how to win. Just like losing's easy and it's contagious, so is winning. What was the difference between Seaver and, you know, and, you know, we really had two number one pitchers, Seaver and Kuzman. Like, how would you differentiate, you know, their approach to the game, like Tom in one hand and Jerry on the other? Well, Seaver was the, the pure pitcher. Uh, when, when he took the mound, he was an artist at work. Where Jerry Kuzman was like a, a laborer. He, he would struggle at times, and then it, as the game progressed, he would get better. And, of course, he was a strong kid and just just rear back and fire. He would let his desire control his emotions. And, of course, you know, he developed into a great pitcher. So you have two, two guys, one that's an artist and one guy is, is really out there. He's the layman out there that uh, is always plugging to do better. And, of course, a great, great competitor. Uh, Kuzman would never uh, let another pitcher take advantage of our hitters. He was the aggressor. He was the one that was the killer instinct. Where Seaver was, was a great pitcher and could finesse you and would knock guys down and move guys back and protect us where Kuzman would go right for their throat. You know, he was the killer. So we always loved to play behind Jerry Kuzman. He worked fast. He was a great competitor, and we wanted to be with him because he was a fun guy. Eddie, let me conversate with you, Eddie, go back. You know, the people at Stony Brook Hospital, it was, you know, they were great with you. The doctors were great. The, you know, Dawn uh, was a good friend. The nurses are great. Looking back on the year, I mean, I mean, you, you got to feel like you're just in a, great place where you were a year ago at this time, right? Well, with all, all that's going on in New York, I mean, a lot of people are depressed. I'm, I'm happy to be here because this time last year, I was struggling, wanting a kidney, expecting to, and hoping to get a kidney, but there was nothing in the horizon. Nobody knew when it was going to take place. And in the beginning of May, a donor, uh, came out of the woodwork. And of course, it, my wife was depressed at the time. And it was a crazy story because when she started to get really upset in my car, she went in the house after we went on a shopping uh, trip. And I said, you never know when it's going to happen. And go on inside. I can't watch you and myself. 
And the next thing you know, the phone rang and they had made the schedule for me to come in. And it was a, a tremendous feeling and, and uh, the excitement that went on. So this year, this is just a minor thing. I mean, yes, it, it's very traumatic for a lot of people. We've lost a lot of people. But me sitting in the house, uh, not worrying about uh, whether I'm going to be here tomorrow, or I'm going to get a kidney is a whole lot better this year. Than, than it was last year. So I feel great. I wish everybody well. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, baseball starting again. Well, Eddie, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And, um, you know, I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks very much, Jay. Appreciate it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.